welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 255. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. We're ramping up to the big holiday events of the year, uh, which more importantly means that the year is almost over, uh, that being 2020, which, uh, as I've noted before, you will maybe listening to in the uh, on a in a reconstituted computer cobbled together from old parts you found scattered around in the uh, the far future you know a computer or you've dusted off an old cell phone and managed to find a power source to recharge it and are sitting there in the dark in the wreckage of modern civilization uh, listening to this program why of all things you would choose this program to listen to to give you a sense of what was going on in the past. Uh, I can't imagine, but uh, here you are, and here I am. So, uh, hello from the far-flung past of 2020. Sorry, I guess, is my message to you guys in the future. So, um, you know, don't judge us too harshly. All right, so uh, what's going on, everybody? Um, I am excited that the holidays are here. As I'm recording this, I'm way behind on my holiday shopping. Uh, As you're hearing this, you know, on the uh, whatever date it comes out, I guess on the 13th, I am probably still way behind on my holiday shopping. I am thankful that I don't have to worry so much about going into the stores for the holiday shopping, which I hate doing in a normal year. But this year, I have an excuse because, you know, COVID. So that's something anyway. But uh, even though I don't have to leave my house to do holiday shopping, thanks, Internet, uh, I am still way behind. So uh, that's just how my life works. Among the things I am thankful for this holiday season are uh, you patron, you, you Patreon uh, subscribers. Uh, we got a new one this year, um, which I will formally thank, I guess, at the end of the episode. Uh, a new one this month. We got several n- new ones this year, but a new one this month. Patrick McCarthy. I just wanted to note his comment here at the top of the show. After becoming a subscriber, he wrote, Hi, from Patrick from sunny L.A. We still have the pandemic, though. I've been a fan of your podcast for about a year now. Wanted to say thanks on Giving Tuesday. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to more apps and catching up on the ones I've missed. Best. P. I also pointed out to him as being a $4 per month subscriber, as he is, uh, that comes with the perk, I guess, of uh, steering this podcast a little bit by suggesting some games that we can do here on the show. And he had some suggestions. Those will spool out later as the uh, show progresses through the year. Uh, He also noted that in the podcast, have some great content on Patreon. Looking forward to exploring. So thanks, Patrick. I will thank you again uh, more formally, I guess, at the end of the show. But I wanted to read that comment uh, in a purely self-serving manner. No other news, really at this point, so I think we'll just get on to this week's game. This week's game is Air Raid from Men of Vision. Men-A-Vision. This is a 1982 game. I am told this was the only game that they released with a great name like Men of Vision. I can't imagine why. I don't know if this is uh, an omen for how this episode is going to go, but I was coincidentally chatting, I guess that's the word, with uh, Jimmy G from Pie Factory Podcast earlier on the social medias. And I happened to mention that I was going to be recording the Air Raid episode pretty soon. And I said, got any great thoughts about that game? And I just now 
as I'm talking to you people, got his response. And here it is. Nope. So there you go. Uh, like I said, I don't know if that's an omen for how this episode's going to go, but we'll see. This is a rare game. A lot of games, when you go looking for cartridges and things on uh, various uh, sites that sell such things, will declare a game to be rare to jack up the price. This one appears to be legitimately a rare game. Uh, you know, at least as far as getting the, the physical cartridge for it. There is not evidently an actual manual that you can get anywhere, but the the premise is pretty simple. The Retroist actually recreated uh, some of the copy from the box uh, in their review, and here's what uh, here's what they said. Again, taken from the, the box for the game. The quiet pre-dawn sky is suddenly filled with enemy bombers. Can you save Manhattan from your lone command post? You watch as the skyscrapers around you are reduced by each hit until, after 12 hits, nothing but rubble remains. You fire fast and furiously to protect the falling city. Can you withstand the deadly onslaught? With the eight variations of play, this debut thrill-packed action game by Menavision will bring many of hours of exciting, challenging play. Yeah, so that's basically the game. It's a little bit like Space Invaders crossed with Missile Command. Now, Missile Command, I have said a few times probably, is one of my favorite Atari games. I really, really like that game a lot. And when I read this description, that's what I was picturing in my head. It's not exactly that. But, I mean, in Missile Command, you have the lasers or, or whatever coming down, and you have to try and shoot them preemptively before they hit your cities. In this one, you have a line of three enemy ships coming down at you, um... Not at the same rate like in Space Invaders, but at different rates. But still, a line of ships coming down from the top of the screen towards your buildings. Not cities, but buildings in a city, I guess. And you have to shoot them before they shoot and destroy your buildings. So, yeah. A little bit like a cross between those two games, at least in my head. I noted in the field report that what you see on the screen, although, as I'm recording this, I have to let you patrons know you might not get a field report video this week we had some technical issues with the file and i'm not sure if uh, if we're going to be able to give the file uh, give the video to you um you can still hear the audio of the field report on the episode today but uh i don't know that you're going to get video but i realized later that i forget forgot to mention in the field report i did mention the field report that what you're seeing on screen if you could see it on screen is black and white but i don't know if that's because of the um, the download that I, I did when I put on the Harmony cart, because I did have some trouble for some reason with the ROM. So I don't know if it's just a glitch there or if it's the ROM itself is black and white. I did check. This is why I didn't mention the field report. Yes, I did check that the color black and white switch on my uh, Atari console was set to color. So that wasn't the issue. So don't hit me up on social media and say, hey, didn't you check the switch? I did. It was on color. So game still plays fine, uh, and actually I think, and I said this in the field report, I think having it in black and white actually adds some eerie uh, mystery to the game, and I kind of liked it. But yeah, I mean, that's basically the game. That's how you play. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, 
I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. The retroist, after repeating that box copy, says, pretty epic sounding. It's a shame it didn't stumble on this game when it was available. This is exactly the type of marketing that appealed to me. Yeah, okay, here's the other weird thing. The box copy says that when you play this game, you should rotate your joystick. That sounds painful. You should rotate it so that the button is not in the upper left-hand corner, as every other Atari manual ever has said. You should rotate it so that the fire button is in the lower left-hand corner. Retroist says, weird, but okay. So apparently they did it. I tried, and it just felt too weird. So I, I couldn't do it. So I went back to the traditional grip on my joystick. I don't know why they suggest this change. Maybe it's supposed to feel more like a joystick in a plane. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, Retroist says, the gameplay is smooth and challenging. Bomber shots at the skyscrapers are hard to time, and you'll need to move quickly in front of the shot. Take your shot and move out before getting hit. Yeah, this it is really hard. The other thing is, you seem to have to hit the ships dead center. If you hit you know, to the left or the right, uh, nothing happens. But if you hit it dead center, then you can destroy it. problem is, of course, that's where their shots come from. So you have to be directly under them to take your shot. And uh, that's risky, obviously. Retro says the game is twitchy, but it makes for, for compelling gameplay in small doses. Graphics are decent. Um, they are. Uh, the ships are kind of, you know, they look like early 80s. Atari ships. I call one, in the field report I call it a pretzel, because it kind of looks to me like a pretzel. There's a, a UFO, there's a flying uh, a, um, helicopter, a thing that the retroist calls like a star cruiser, death, a star destroyer. I guess that's a good comparison. I don't know what I would compare it to. It's kind of a triangular looking thing. Retroist says that the game is a hack of Space Jockey, which is a game I don't think that I really know anything about. Sound is action related, doesn't win any awards. The game doesn't win any awards, but is interesting. If you have access to an emulator, give Air Raid a try. Won't give you many hours of exciting, challenging play, like the box promises, but it will entertain and challenge you. The cartridge, which I've never seen, evidently is a blue T-handle design with a picture of flying saucers attacking a futuristic city. Extremely limited distribution, making it highly sought after by collectors. Yeah, so I'm looking at some screenshots here. They're in color, so there must be something going on the the round that I have. But like I said... I think I actually prefer it this way. I don't know how old this Wikipedia article is, but it says on April 10th, 2010, the only copy at the time known to be completed, known to be complete, cartridge and box, sold for 31600 bucks. If any of you out there has that, let me know, A, that you have it, and B, why. Woodgrain Wonderland calls Air Raid an indistinctive slide and shooter. As far as I know, the reviewer says it's the only 2600 cartridge with a pull-out handle. A wholly unnecessary contrivance, considering no one had any problem removing cartridges from the system in the first place. It's kind of neat, though, and I can see why it would be hotly sought after by collectors. Just don't waste your time on the game inside. Grade F. Ouch. That's kind of harsh there, uh, Woodgrain. 
There was a Polygon article in 2012 talking about these rare cartridges. They note that a uh, cartridge for Air Raid surfaced on video game auction site Game Gavel. I don't know if Game Gavel is still a thing or not. Earlier that week, that week being the last week in October 2012, skyrocketing to a high bid of nearly 18000 in less than a day. They quote the founder of Game Gavel, Mike Kennedy, as saying, We occasionally get mega rare items like this listed on Game Gavel. We really have a hardcore community of retro gamers, so it's a great place to feature an auction like this. The auction began that day at a dollar, and like I say, shot up to 18000 that day, and there were still 10 more days to go. The cartridge belonged to Harv Bennett, who dug the game out of storage with the help of his daughter, Alana, but it's pure serendipity how he ended up owning the game anyway. He had been an assistant manager for a small drugstore that processed photos and sold watches and video games, and he worked in the video game department, assisting in the buying and selling of store stock. Quote, At the time, big game companies like Activision and Atari would just plus us out games and send them to the store, Bennett told Polygon. Smaller companies would send reps in to try to sell their games. Apollo and SpectreVision would send them. Small companies like that. And then one day, this guy comes in from MenaVision with a game called Air Raid. Bennett would take the games home to play them, and if he liked them, he'd order copies for the store. Quote, the man told me it's my last copy. I only got five or six pieces. This one is the last. He said even if I did want it, he'd have to order it special and send it to us later. Bennett said the game wasn't good, didn't play well, and the box art wasn't attractive, and he didn't think he could convince kids to buy it. But when he called the company back to tell them he wasn't interested and let them know they could pick up the copy, he was told they didn't want to bet. Quote, the game didn't do that well, he told me. You can just keep the copy. So I gave the store a couple dollars for it since it was technically given to the store and then just put it in my Atari cabinet and didn't touch it. The case loaded up with Atari games, was moved two more times, once to the back of his wife's closet and then into storage. I think this is a familiar story for a lot of us uh, collectors. Where it sat for years until one day Bennett spotted Air Raid listed on an Atari-centric blog. Quote, when I saw the picture of the game, I instantly knew I had it. I called my daughter Alana and went with her to pull it out of storage. This article has a video of the two of them rediscovering the cartridge for the first time. The box has been opened a total of five times, Bennett said, and there isn't a scratch or crease anywhere on it. Alana reached out to Kennedy at Game Devil, uh, showed him photos and video, and Bennett said Kennedy agreed to sell the game. Bennett and Kennedy spoke with Atari Age Administrator Albert Yeruso. Uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. I apologize, Albert. Who said there was no questioning what Bennett and his daughter had found. From that second on, Bennett said everything just went crazy. Alana discovered the game's manual when she pulled the game and tray out of the box to take pictures. Kennedy and Yeruso went crazy when they saw the manual. There had never been a manual for the game. People at Atari Age were trying to track down the company based on an address on the manual. The group has already found the building and are currently closing in on the names of the people who owned the building in 1982 when Air Raid was made. Bennett considered selling the game on eBay, which, quote, eBay sells everything and Game Devil sells games. And after talking to Mike, we knew this was the right place to sell it. I'm not just giving it to some big machine that sells everything and you're just a cog. Mike is excited about what he's doing for us and the game community. We know we could make more money with eBay, but we'd rather go with Mike because he's sincere and he collects games too. After selling Air Raid, he was going to sell the Atari game cabinet they pulled out of storage, saying that the game trophy case is also a rare item. All right. They did not consider giving the game to a museum because no one has contacted them about it. Companies are already interested in copies of the manual and box, and he's happy to share it. But until the right person calls, he and his daughter think they are making the right decision by selling the game. The money is great, but the fun I've had with my daughter in finding the game and the super positive support from everyone involved, that's the value for us. 
he was going to use the money he got from the game to help his daughter fix up the new house that she had just bought. So there you go. Like I say, if you're the person who bought Harv Bennett's game, let me know. Okay. Well, back in the 1950s, college guys would raid girls' dorms and steal their panties. A panty raid, if you will. So after the break, we're going to play Air Raid, then, I don't know, hold our breath. those old raid pest control commercials where raid promised to kill bugs dead where they hide well we're going to do the same with the air i guess we're playing air raid from menavision which is a hard name to say without laughing which may be why they went out of business we're looking at the screen this was my last game i don't mean to brag but i had 775 points i know i don't know why it's in black and white I'm not sure if the original uh, ROM was in black and white or if I know there was an issue with uh, putting it on my Harmony cart today. Maybe that's why it's black and white. I actually think it adds something to the game, but uh, you know, opinions may vary. So let's uh, give it a shot. I'm holding the joystick as the box for the cartridge recommends with the fire button in the lower left corner, which is goofy, but we'll see what happens. Whoa. I don't like this at all. I'm turning the joystick back the way it's supposed to be. As you can see, I am pretty awesome at this game. Got the Manhattan skyline being harassed, as they say, by UFOs and whatever that triangular thing is. Pretzel, an helicopter. I'm already on my last guy. Can I beat 725? Yeah, I can. this once before when I was playing. I don't know what that is. I think that's just telling me that building got leveled. Another building went down. basic. I like the game. Very simple to pick up and play. Sorry, I stopped talking there for a little bit. I was just basking in the glory of the fact that this may be my best score today. Today being like 20 minutes. So, there you go. Uh, that's Air Raid in its black and white glory. Speaking of glory, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. 
well. How about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre, from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Pizza Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you like to get your books. Not cereal. So, here's the thing about Air Raid. I kind of like the game. I know it's not great, but, you know, I said that it kind of reminds me a little bit of Missile Command, and that makes me happy. Being reminded of Space Invaders isn't all that bad either, because Space Invaders, for all its simplicity, is kind of fun too. So, yeah, it's not a game you would sit and play for hours and hours, if for no other reason than the intense action sounds uh, can give you a headache if you sat there too long and listened to it. And I like that it was an extra little bonus for me that the game looked on my screen to be black and white. Because, like I said, I think that makes it gives an eerie quality, puts me in the mind of, uh, you know, old 60s you know, B-movie sci-fi adventures, and that's all good, uh, and that makes me happy too. So I'm quite content with Air Raid. I would probably go play it again. I may pick it up again after I'm done recording, just because it's, you know, it's an easy pick-it-up-and-play-it kind of game. So I totally recommend it. Not for $30,000, but, you know, a free download. Go for it. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled... Siren's Echo. When other kids in that little Nebraska neighborhood were playing hopscotch, Foursquare, and if you were those brainy twins on the corner, chess, eight-year-old Emily was drawing maps. She was tracking the movement of the German army across Europe. The green line was for the Germans, because for some reason she always thought of the color green when she thought of Germany. Maybe because they sound alike. Green, German, German, green. Emily was eight, after all. Blue was for America because blue was Emily's favorite color. Anyway, Emily listened to Edward R. Murrow on the radio every night with her mom and her brother, Cal, when he wasn't doing push-ups to get in shape for the Army. Their dad was fighting with the Allies, and Cal spent most of his time trying to convince the recruiter he was old enough to fight. Even though Cal was 15 and the whiskers on his face were as fine as the hair on Emily's favorite doll's head, and there was less of it, 
Daddy's rifle is taller than you, Emily told him. Shut up, fathead, Cal would grumble and then go back to doing jumping jacks. Every night, Murrow would report from the front lines on where Albert Hitler was. It was Albert, right? Albert Hitler? Emily wasn't sure. But Morrow would report, and Emily would mark it on her map. She didn't know how far Nebraska was from Germany, but on her map, well, it didn't look that far. It was just smart to be ready. When he turned 16, Cal convinced that recruiter to sign him up. Their mother was pretty resigned to the reality, but Emily was pretty upset. I don't want you to go away, she said through tears. It's no big deal, Cal said. You've got your map. You'll always know where I am. Emily looked at the map as if for confirmation. How? What if you forget to write and tell me? You don't even like to do book reports. Emily couldn't believe anyone hated book reports. Cal laughed, trying and failing to puff out his boy's chest. Listen, wherever the action is, I'll be there. Murrow will tell you every night. After Cal shipped out, Emily went right on marching in blue and green on her map where she guessed Cal and the enemy might be. It was like a game, sort of. Long-distance hide-and-seek. London, Paris, Cherbourg, Amsterdam. Wherever the Allies were on any given day, Emily guessed her brother was there. Whenever the Allies gained back a bit of Europe, Emily cheered her brother on as if she was watching him playing stickball in the street in front of their house. For weeks, the map game went on. Then months. Emily's map filled with lines and circles in many colors. Sometimes, she put triangles around targets she personally hoped the Allies would liberate. Mostly because she liked how the name sounded. It was deadly serious, but also great fun in the way of a child's mind. Then one day, the balance between fun and serious wobbled. Emily was startled out of bed early one morning by the piercing wail of the air raid siren. Disoriented, frightened, but practical Midwesterners shuffled to the bomb shelters. Sitting in lantern light, Emily drew a big circle around her town at least six times. This was it. The war was finally here. The townsfolk waited a while in the near darkness with their lanterns for the world to end, and when nothing happened, went back to their daily lives. Turned out Wes Bentley, the local butcher, had set off the siren after seeing a plane fly over the town he didn't recognize. Although Wes the butcher was deposed as air raid warden by Stan the grocer, most of the townspeople laughed it off. That siren, though, the enormous sound of it, echoed in the dark, normally quiet parts of Emily's brain. The parts that usually allowed her to think about fun things, or to sleep at night. Emily stopped listening to Murrow. She knew that unlike her little town in Nebraska, Murrow really was where the enemy was, and that meant her brother was too. Eventually, she stopped drawing on her map. She didn't want to look at it anymore. The air raid sirens went off a few more times in her town during the war, but eventually the war ended and families were reunited. Other families, not Emily's. She was glad in a way that she didn't have her map anymore. If she didn't know where her dad and her brother ended up, then, well, they could be anywhere. Maybe even about to walk through the front door. They never did. The air raid siren's echo kept Emily company for years after. She needed only to close her eyes and let her ears take over, where that cacophony lived. Emily grew up and became a teacher. She taught third-grade science and geography, in the 1960s, occasionally interrupted by the old familiar klaxon. It was the warning that it was time for the kids to practice hiding under their desks so that the Soviets' nuclear missiles wouldn't harm them. But for Emily, the klaxon was sometimes the Soviets, sometimes her little hometown's air raid siren, and sometimes it was the sound of her brother banging on a pot with a wooden spoon just to drive her crazy when they were kids. 
Why are you crying? Eddie Muss, age nine, asked her one day after one of these duck-and-cover drills. Headache, Emily said through a thin smile. Just a headache. Nothing came of those drills either. No one ever dropped a nuclear missile on Emily's students, and eventually her school and all the others stopped doing the drills. For a long time after the last one, though, Emily would flinch whenever the bell rang, signaling the end of a period or the end of the day. Years went by and Emily lived on. Air raid drills and duck and cover drills went the way of hula hoops and landline phones. Only occasionally did Emily jump or yelp when the fire alarm went off from, say, burnt meatloaf. Eventually, though, a new enemy emerged, and Emily found herself drawing maps again. Graphs, too. She liked graphs. She was much older now, just a retired teacher watching the world she'd known for so long come to make even less sense. Illness ravaged every country, every city, every home even, at least indirectly. Emily tried drawing the map of the illness's movement, but it quickly became evident that the map was pointless. The disease was everywhere. Instead, Emily drew her drafts of new cases and new deaths. She repeated the advice to wear masks and social distance to everyone who would listen and shouted it to the ones who wouldn't. She marveled at how people's response to this enemy was so much different than the response to war during her youth. Some people quarantined themselves, of course, but so many, instead of hiding, metaphorically, in air raid shelters or under desks, went out into the path of the enemy, defying it instead of fearing it. What would it take to make them pay attention? Emily wished West the Butcher was still here with his trigger finger on the siren. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Sound the alarm on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review of this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. Don't forget, if you're so inclined, you can call us too. I'm not going to answer the phone, but you can leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about pretty much anything you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com for information about this show, Atari Bytes, and my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. You can also find out about books I've written, including... The new short story collection, Hell Serial, Very Short Stories, Fortified with Essential Syllables, and, timely for this time of year, my Santa Claus novel for adults in the Saint Nick of Time. And if you can, please subscribe to the show on Patreon.com. Patrons not only get to help out the show, which I am grateful for, but you also get stuff. You could get access to episodes early. You could also get bonus content, stuff that we don't do on the regular show, and... If you're at the $4 level, you are able to help program the show by suggesting games for me to play and storify here on the podcast. You also can help me out by keeping an eye on the current patrons because they really need to be watched. Big thanks and warning that you're being watched to Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, Aerospike, M. West, Jim Goble, and Patrick McCarthy. And big thanks ahead of time to all of you future supporters. 
All right. Well, next time on Atari Bytes. The next episode of the podcast is the last one that comes out before Christmas. So, as I usually do, I wanted to do something holiday-themed. I think that's going to be playing the very popular homebrew Toy Shop Trouble. Uh, I say I think it is because it's not here yet. I ordered it, but I haven't got it yet. So hopefully I will get it in time to uh, storify it and play it and uh, present it to you on the podcast. If not, well, there'll be some sort of holiday surprise uh, of some sort next time on the show. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.